saw yesterday that Justin and uh, Julie celebrated their sixth anniversary. Congratulations. We got Pastor Matthew and Lauren celebrating number two tomorrow, right? Good. No clap for that? Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious here, uh, who's been married the longest? Anyone over 30 years? There we go. My, my, how, how long have you guys been married? 41. 41. And you guys? 41. 41. All right. There you go. Congratulations. It's awesome. I was thinking about that this week as, as two of our pastors are having their anniversary this weekend and thinking uh, as earlier this year we celebrated our 20th anniversary and just recognizing fully it is the grace of God that we've made it this far. It will be the grace of God that, that we make it uh, any further. But as I was thinking about that and sometimes as we... Was that funny? I was serious. It'll be the grace of God if we make it any further. Uh, I didn't mean that part to be funny. So, uh, yeah, so the grace of God. When I think about that, sometimes when we think about the grace of God, sing about the grace of God, talk about the grace of God, I think sometimes we put it in a realm that it was not meant to be. I think we put that into the kind, of a, kind of like a Jedi-like force out there, kind of a nebulous thing. Oh, the grace of God is what will sustain us. And as I was thinking about the last 20 years, I, I realized, no, actually, it, it is God's grace and it will be God's grace, but God's grace comes to us uh, most frequently, most often in very tangible means. And as I was reflecting on the last 20 years and reflecting on the time even before that and in God's preparation, I, I thought this is the grace of God because quite honestly, we weren't, we weren't the ideal couple to be set apart for a, a long marriage. I mean, we both came from homes of divorce and multiple divorce. My parents were divorced when I was born. Jennifer's parents were divorced when she was eight years old. And so we didn't see what covenant looked like over the long run in that sense. And, and so um, we, we got married young. I mean, I was 23, she was 20. Uh, at our wedding reception afterwards, there were family members that were literally out loud within earshot speculating how long this thing would last. And they were serious. Of course, they were divorced too, so I don't give them much credit. But nonetheless, uh, I, I was just thinking, man, how have we made it here? How will we make it going forward? And just evidences of God's grace, tangible grace in our lives. I, I, I thought about the time when uh, the summer before I got married. And by the way, we got a one-week anniversary too, Hakeem. Congratulations. Last week. Yeah. That was great to be with you last week. But uh, I, so, so listen up. This is good for you. Um, but I, I was just thinking about uh, just how... Um, you know, 22 years ago, right before I got married, the summer before I got married, the Lord allowed me to go, I've shared with you before, go to Okinawa as an intern for the summer and, and do ministry. But more than that, it was this three months with this missionary family called the Arliscus family, Drew and Shelly and, and their four kids. And, and just, I got to minister with them, but I got to live with them. 
and, and just sit in, in their house and, and share meals with them and just learn from them just more as caught than taught. And so I just remember this, the, the first ride home from the airport, Drew picked me up and we're driving to the place. I don't know them at all. Uh, his wife calls and they chat. I don't know what they talked about, but at the very end, I, I remember what he said. He just said, hey, I love you. See you soon. I was like, what? People say that to each other? That's weird. That's interesting. That's cool. I mean, you've been married for a while now. You still say that? Yeah. And then just sitting with them and, and learning from them and seeing what family looked like and, and seeing uh, just the highs and the lows and seeing how they, they, they just brought it to Christ. I, I remember seeing, uh, or hearing rather, Drew one night just get, getting obviously very angry and, and he was angry with his kids and, and he was yelling at them. And the next morning, I didn't think anything of it, but the next morning, Drew coming to me and he said, you may have heard me yelling at my kids. I wanna let you know, Mark, that is not how a father is supposed to talk to his kids. I also want to let you know that I went to Hannah, my daughter, and, and just kind of confessed and, and asked for her forgiveness. I'm like, wow, parents ask forgiveness of their kids? Like, that's amazing. And, and just for three months, just learning what a God-honoring, Christ-centered family looks like, and, and that has served me well. That's tangible evidence of God's grace in my marriage and, and with my kids now. That's, that's carried on. That's God's grace. Thought, thought about just God's grace of just uh, being a member of a church for the last 20 years and how God has brought uh, uh, peers and friends and mentors to come alongside and encourage us. Remember our, our premarital counseling with our pastor just saying, hey, marriage isn't about you. Ephesians 5 says marriage is about the, displaying Christ in the church. It's about the gospel. Marriage is for mission. And so if you're gonna uh, thrive in your marriage, you gotta get on mission together. And, and so just casting a vision for us to serve one another. And just uh, brothers and sisters in Christ over the years being a source of accountability, belonging, and care for 20 years. Uh, th there have been times where uh, they they've come into our home and sat in the couch between us to officiate uh, our, our fights because we've come to an impasse. And because they loved us both and we trusted them and we were in life together, that they were able to say, hey, uh, Mark, you're out of bounds here. Or Jennifer, and they did sometimes say, Jennifer, you're out of bounds here. And so that I always praise God for that. But uh, <laughs> there's there, there just these moments where we, we've been in community and that was God's tangible grace to us. Uh, uh, just God allowing us to serve in ministry in ways is, is God's grace to us. Like there's, there's plenty of Sundays where I'd, I'd love to just chill out and watch football or go to the mountains, but, but I'm preaching that day. So I gotta show up. I, I thought about it this week. You know who's shown up at every one of our monthly uh, church prayer gatherings? You're like, well, not me. Yeah, Ryan and Lauren Fee. Why? Because it's at their house. This is why if you're a follower of Christ, you should find a ministry uh, and part of God's grace to you and shaping you is just requiring you to be there. And over time, that has a shaping impact in your life. Just so many evidences of God's grace in, in our life, but they're tangible, they're real, they're, they're, it's God's presence in us and sometimes they get overlooked to our detriment. But, but in, a, in us, there's all of this longing that God has put in every human heart to connect with and have meaningful encounter transcendent with a transcendent God. The, the, the Celtic Christians, they had a theology of what they called thin places. They said there's places in this world where the veil between heaven and earth gets very, very thin. 
They said sometimes it's out in the wild, in nature. Sometimes it's in a pilgrimage. But maybe some of you have experienced those transcendent moments in life, those thin places. You know, like when you hold your, your, your baby for the very first time and you just sense the weight of eternity in your hands. That's a thin place. Or maybe you go on a mission trip and you, you get outside of your comfort zone and all that and you just have to cry out to God and God meets you in that moment and you're like, man, God is present in this place. This is a thin place. Now where the Celtics get it wrong is they say it's in certain locations and on spiritual pilgrimages. But Jesus says as he's created all things by him and for him and he's come and put on flesh and lived a life we couldn't live and conquered death in the grave, went to the cross and is raised again and reigning over all things, Jesus has made the entire universe now a thin place. He tore the veil between heaven and earth when he conquered death in the grave. And so that every moment of every breath we take carries with it the weight of eternity. If only we had eyes to see that. If only we could go about our our day driving to our workplaces and passing image bearers and say, man, there's the image of God. There's the image of God. Oh my goodness, there's the image of God. If only we could change diapers and say, this is part of advancing the kingdom of God. If only we could uh, just enter into every sphere of our lives and say that there's the weight of eternity. God is present with us in this moment. But so often that's not the case, right? So often we we think, man, God only shows up if if, if the worship's really good on Sunday morning, maybe God will show up. (laughs) Maybe if the the sermon's all right, maybe he'll show up. Maybe if uh, they play the right song on the radio. Like, we start to just say, these are the ways that God shows up in our lives and we miss God showing up in the ordinary, tangible ways of life. And that's the good news. The good news actually of this passage today is that God delights to use ordinary means to accomplish his extraordinary purposes in our lives. That's it. That's what I want you to take away. God delights to use ordinary means I say this all the time. God is probably doing 10,000 things in your life right now and you might be aware of two or three of them. And in this passage, I want to show us that, that there, are, there are at least four of them that is true in this passage and in your life and mine. If we, if we could have eyes to see, we would, we would walk out of here, we would walk with a sense of expectation that God is present in our lives. This is good news to me. Because sometimes when you read the book of Acts or you, you think about how God shows up, you're like, man, I, I don't know if God's present here. Like, I'm not seeing people raised from the dead. I'm not seeing the, the sick healed and the blind with sight. I'm not, I'm not, seeing, I'm not feeding thousands of people. I, I'm not preaching the gospel and, and just droves of people coming to know Christ. Is God present? And we can overlook Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, God is very, very, very much present in such ordinary ways, ordinary ways that you and I live in every day. And so there's good news. You can be encouraged that God is present in your life. Let's look at four of them. Again, there's a bunch of them even in this passage that we won't even point out, but there are four in this passage that are true for me and for you this morning. Let's look at it. Acts chapter 18, verse one. This is after this, Paul left Athens. That was last week. Paul was in Athens, and he went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Again, 
I think what, what, what we need to do so often, especially when we're reading the Gospels or narrative, is to stop and pause and think about that. This is a terrible circumstance for Priscilla and Aquila. They're from uh, what is modern day uh, Turkey and they've, they, they've gotten married. They've started life together. They, they've headed to Rome, the capital city. They've established their life. They have a business there. They have home. They have friends. The gospel has reached Rome. It's outpaced the book of Acts at this point. They've received it. They've become new creations and other Romans have as well. They've got a church family there. They're growing. They know God for the first time and, and, and everything seems to be going well until one day the emperor says all the Jewish people have to leave the city you have three days imagine the heartbreak in that moment imagine how you would feel in that moment imagine how how you would be angry with God God how could you do this you, you just we, we just came to know you and this is our faith family and this is where our business is and our homes and everything we ever know is in this place and now we have to leave and they become refugees imagine the tears the heartache, the brokenness in that moment. So what, what, what I want you to see, though, is this is actually God's grace to them. See, back in chapter 17, Paul was preaching to the Athenians, and he said something that applies very much to Priscilla and Aquila and applies very much to you and me today. In verse 26 of chapter 17, it says, And God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, Listen to this. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. The NIV says, having determined the exact times and locations in which men should live. Think about that. The exact times and locations in which men should live. Verse 27. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us. The whole earth is a very thin place. So, so what, what God is saying and what, what, what Priscilla and Aquila need to know in this moment is that it isn't the whim of Claudius that has brought them to Corinth. It is God's will that brought them to Corinth. And I think some of us can relate to this a little bit. I mean, so Parker, Colorado is, a, is, a, is an amazing place on, on the face of their planet. Like, it, it is a great place. And some of you, like, you plan to be here. Like this was your will, you executed it, you're here. So who here was like, man, I wanted to come to Parker, Colorado? Raise your hand. Okay, it, don't be afraid, like Parker's cool. Okay, so we got some of you, all right. And then some of us are here in spite of ourselves. Circumstances of life moved us here. A, a job transfer or, or, or a, a family situation or uh, w when we were moving back from Europe uh, to Colorado, my, my wife said, I I'll move anywhere but Parker. And she said that on repeat, by the way. This wasn't, why? Because when she grew up and, and she, she spent a week in Parker and then a week in Denver and then a week in Parker and a week in Denver, all of her friends, all of her school, all of that was in Denver. So all that was good was in Denver. All that was bad was horses and horse poop out here. And she's like, I hate it in Parker. Mark, I'll go anywhere. Just don't take me to Parker. And yet here we are. Now here, you need to hear this because I need to preach this to myself. You will miss seeing and savoring God's grace to you if you only live in the past. Oh, back then, that's where God really worked 
That, that, that's, where, that's where life was good. Or if you're only living in the future. Someday, life will be good. Someday I'll get that job and I'll, I'll, I'll be a part of that place and, and that'll be good. And, and in this moment, if you only see it yourself as a victim of other circumstances, you are missing the grace of God. This is the ordinary grace of God. This is the first one. God is sovereign over the time and place that we should live. So the very molecules of air that are coming into your lungs right now, God in eternity past saw fit for those molecules to come in and go out right now. Don't you think he has good purposes for you? We're going to see that he has amazingly good purposes for Priscilla and Aquila in spite of the pain, in spite of the hurt, in spite of the loss. So God is sovereign over time and place, and that's his good grace to us. Let's continue. <coughs> um, so because of Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see him. that's Paul, he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for they were tent makers by trade. So Paul has left Athens and he's come to Corinth and he doesn't have anyone with him. Church hasn't been established and so he needs a means. And so the second ordinary means of God's grace for, for most of us here is work. It isn't part of the fall. It is pre-fall. God designed work for our good and to bring grace into our lives in a thousand different ways. Yes, there's toil. Yes, there's brokenness in our jobs. And yet, still, God has good purposes for our work. And so he provides for Paul through his skill of building tents. He provides for Paul uh, an opportunity to preach the gospel in the marketplaces and in the synagogues because of work. Work in a million different ways is a God's good gift to us. It helps uh, culture flourish. It's helped uh, the creation mandate to, to subdue the earth. It helps build economies and provide jobs and, and, and resources for our family, food for us, our, our housing for the poor and the oppressed, for the advancement of the gospel and the mission. Uh, God has given us work for that end. That is God's good gift or school if that's where you're at right now. God has good purposes in all that. And work is for um, a thousand different things. You, you, you're going to spend time with people that are image bearers of God that don't share your faith or your background. And you might spend more time with them than you do with your family. Don't you think God has something in that? Don't you think God has some purposes? Or is God just living for the weekend like you are? No, he's got good plans and good purposes to provide and to, and, and to, to do a thousand things through our work. And so we should receive it as a good gift of God. So that's the second one. Let's look at the third one. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews. And we're going to see this unpack. But, but basically, God, good, ordinary gift comes to us through just the regular gathering of God's people. Like there's something that happens over time when we commit ourselves to the regular gathering, to the worship and the study of God's word. Verse five, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments <coughs> and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house 
was next door to the synagogue. So we got time and place coming in. So he gets kicked out of the synagogue. Well, God has rescued and redeemed this tidiest justice, and it just so happens his house is right next to the synagogue. And so as they come out of the synagogue, they're sharing the gospel, and, and they continue to go. The work of God advances. Verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Just very ordinary means of grace advancing the church. Verse 11, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Now you say, well, Mark, you skipped the supernatural part, verse nine. Well, let's look at that for a second. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, like Mark, I, I didn't get any vision. See, this is, what, this is how God shows up for Paul, but not me. But let's see what he says. He says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are of my people. So, so Paul apparently needed some encouragement in this moment. Things were getting tense. And so God, in his grace, he gives Paul a vision. You're like, well, Paul, I haven't got a vision. Because you have something the Apostle Paul didn't have. You have the rest of the Word of God. The New Testament wasn't written in Paul's time. You can go to Matthew 28, to the last words of Jesus on earth, and, he'll, and you'll hear from the words of the Son of God to you and to me this morning, true and living words. He'll say, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded. And his very last words are, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's what the vision said to Paul. So you don't need a vision when you have the word. In fact, you can print that out, put it all over your house, and God will remind you constantly, I am with you always. So again, even in this, it's ordinary means of grace pushing forward the mission of God. So it's this ordinary gathering of the saints together. Now, we live in a time and a place that this can become quite difficult. But let me ask you this. Do you, if you're a follower of Christ, do you hope for you and your family and for your kids to be passionate in their faith five years from now? Like, yeah, I think that's a pretty good goal. Maybe, maybe that's not your goal. Do you hope that you will have a vibrant faith five years from now? Second question would be, do you have a plan for that? Because in 20 years of ministry, I know this. The number one indicator, whether or not five years from now you have a passionate, vibrant faith in God, is what you do with the gathering of God's people. There is just something over time that happens with God's people that forms in us a, an affection, a love for, a passion for God. Because a thousand things will come in and take you away from that if you're not careful. We have hobbies, we have sports, we have, we have the mountains, we have a 10,000 things, and over time you can kind of just begin to drift. I've seen people, I've seen leaders in my churches before who are just on fire. They, they move and they just, they don't intend to abandon their faith. They don't intend to throw, throw away their faith. Just over time they've deprioritized the gathering of the saints and, and the singing together, and over time their faith has floundered for that. If you want to be on fire for Christ five years from now, be committed to gathering with the saints. This is God's ordinary means. See, Pastor Matthew knows what I'm talking about. Amen. I'm here for it. Listen, there will be distractions, but 
Don't miss gathering with the saints. There's one last one. Maybe you've seen it in here. One ordinary means of grace that most of us in here can employ in our lives. Uh, we saw it first back in verse 3. And, and because Paul was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. It's, it's the ordinary means of grace of our homes. Priscilla and Aquila didn't just give Paul a job. They opened up their home to him. They're like, hey, you, you can come in, into our home as well. And I imagine, uh, you know, that, that might have been some burden on Priscilla and Aquila, but imagine the blessing that came out of that. Yes, they were Christians, but, but now they had the Apostle Paul. Not only did they work alongside him and, and just learn from him all day long, now they shared meals with him and they shared the home with him. And, and Paul, who wasn't one given to small talk, just poured grace upon grace upon grace into their lives. They were the ones that were blessed when they used their homes for God's glory. We see it again down in verse 7 when, when he get kicked out of the synagogue and he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And we see that that house is then used for God's purposes of bringing many to know Jesus. Priscilla and Aquila would live with Paul a lot and, and they would eventually travel with Paul. And Paul would leave Corinth and, and go to Ephesus and Priscilla and Aquila would go with them. He left Priscilla and Aquila there. Paul went on to Antioch and on to his third missionary journey. But meanwhile, Priscilla and Aquila, this, this husband and wife, they have this amazing hospitality ministry in the New Testament that absolutely changes the course of church history. Look at this, verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, that's northern Africa, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. But then look what it says. Though he knew only the baptism of John. So what's going on here? Again, the gospel is spreading faster than the apostles can get there. And it's come to North Africa, and, and, and Apollos has heard about the gospel, and what he's heard is right and true. It's just not the whole story. And so he takes that, and he's incredibly gifted, incredibly talented, and he begins to, to share what he knows. The problem is he doesn't know the whole story. So he finds his way in Ephesus where Priscilla and Aquila are, and one Sabbath day they see this young man stand up and just knock it out of the park, halfway because he hasn't told the whole story and so Priscilla and Aquila as they do they say hey why don't you come into our house look what it says here it says uh, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him they took him aside implication is they they spent some time with him they brought him into his house and they explained to him the way of God more accurately we just believe that the ordinary means of grace of our homes, God wants to use that for his glory and for the joy of all people. Have you ever stopped to wonder why at such a time as this, in such a, the seventh most wealthy county in America, that God would, would call you to live here? And for many of us have these massive houses in the scope of world history, just absolute mansions compared to what the rest of the world has. Have you ever wondered why God would do that for you? I mean, surely it can't be just because God wants to bless you and you, you just take that all for yourself, right? Have you ever wondered why you have extra bedrooms in your house? 
If you're a follower of Christ, God has given those to you for a purpose, for his eternal purposes, and he wants to use the ordinary means of your home for extraordinary results. And so we've always believed at Redemption Parker, before we met publicly, we met in homes because something happens on our couches and across our dinner tables that is transcendent and of eternal value. And so that's why we push gospel communities. We want you to be in each other's home. We want our homes to be a beacon of light to the, in a dark world so that we can come together and encourage one another, so that we can open our homes and invite our, our friends and neighbors that don't know Jesus yet. They won't come here, but they'll share a meal with us. And God does something extraordinary in those ordinary things like having a meal. And when you have other brothers and sisters together at your table, Man, in that moment, that's a thin place. If you can just imagine, it's a pretaste of what's going to happen forever at the great banquet of, of God before the Lamb with your friends. And so our homes are these incredible opportunities that we've got to take advantage of. Why do you have extra rooms? Why do you have extra space? For the glory of God and the joy of all people. I said at the beginning, my, my uh, mentor and friend, Drew Arliscus, after I graduated seminary, I went to Okinawa, and they left there. I took over there, and he came back to pastor a church in Phoenix, and his four children grew up and eventually all left the house, and, and they came to this moment with this, this house, and they're like, why does God have, why did God give us a, this house with so many extra rooms? And they be, begin to just realize it, it isn't for our sake. They began to open up their home. They began to foster kids. And dozens and dozens of kids came through their home. And, and out of that, they began to adopt some of the kids so, so that uh, they, they now have five more kids. Family 2.0. And so oftentimes, people come up to them and they're like, what is up with that? Like, man, you did your time with your kids. Like, now, now don't you need some me time? And he just looks at them and is like, what are you talking about? Well, I mean, like, it's tiring raising kids, and so now you get to enjoy life. He's like, I do not see that in the Bible. You think I'm just going to waste the last 40 years of my life with a big empty house? And they're like, well, yeah, that's what everyone does. It's like, we're not going to do that. So he's on family 2.0. Sometimes people will come up to him and they'll say, you know, your kids, these kids are so blessed to have you guys. It's like, no, you don't get it. We're the ones that are blessed. <laughs> These kids come from brokenness. They, they, they need healing. They need love. But we're the ones that are blessed. Because on repeat in the New Testament, God's people are called to practice hospitality. It's one of the requirements of being an elder. We're called to open our homes. And, and, and that command is for our joy when we obey it. So we want you to use your home as a light for the gospel. So again, in 10,000 different ways, God is working through ordinary means in your life. My hope, again, is that you would have eyes to see, an expectation that God would use our home, that an expectation that God has you here for this time and this place to bless you and to bring grace into your life and through your life, an expectation that your job isn't just a means to an end, but your job is part of God's good gift to you. An expectation that the gathering of the saints does something eternally in our souls in shaping us. And an expectation that our homes are for his glory and the joy of all people. You know, if you go hiking, a 14er, they tell you never to go in the afternoon. You know why? Anyone? Storms, right? And specifically, what's in storms? Lightning. Lightning. 
And if you've ever been on the mountain above tree line and those start to roll in, something happens to the air. Smell, like there's sounds, your hair starts to stick up on your arms and your head. And if that happens, you need to get down. You need to get out of there as soon as possible because that means imminently uh, there is a lightning about to just come, boom, strike down. But, but I want you to leave here today just kind of with the hair standing up on your arms with just the expectation. Any moment now, in any ordinary means of grace, the, the, the heaven can meet earth and, and, and eternal things could be taking place. So I don't know what you're gonna do in this next meal, God. I don't know what you're gonna do at work tomorrow, God. I just know that you are present and you're always working through these ordinary things. And so give me eyes to see so that my faith could rise and my worship could rise to you. To that end, let me pray for us as we go out this week. So Father, thank you that we can come before you once again in the name of your Son and the power of your Spirit that you are present with us. You've purchased this privilege by your blood that we get to praise you and worship you. Lord, I'm so grateful that you are working in 10,000 ways that I don't even know, but I'm also grateful that you would give us some eyes to see the ways that you are at work. So would you just encourage and affirm the saints here this morning? Would you show each one of us how you are desiring to work in us and through us for your glory and for our good? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.